Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand in hand with baking for those we love. Today, are Nigella's brownies really the perfect antidote to a dessert emergency? And will Funfetti cupcakes for two possibly be enough? We've got the sweet scoop. Plus, we're revealing our preheated 20 for 20 baking resolutions. So grab yourself some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Andrea, it's been a while since we've had a news update from the hard-hitting reporting team over at Waitrose Weekend, but (laughs) that's true. Speaking of grabbing a cup of coffee, how does this grab you? In a recent issue, there was this article. Britons drink a vast amount of coffee, 95 million cups a day at the last count. Wow. But what happens to the 500,000 tons of leftover grounds this creates annually? Typically, they go in the landfill. But innovative brand Coffee Logs has come up with a more planet-friendly plan. Burn them. Coffee Logs are wood burner briquettes made from 30% sawdust and 70% spent coffee, with each one containing the grounds of about 25 cups. Now, apparently they are collecting used grounds from offices, cafes, even airports, all within Britain. And so this not only reduces the emissions of processing that waste, but they apparently burn like a charm. And you might think you're turning your home or your campfire into like a coffee house. They only smell slightly of coffee before they're burned and just like ordinary wood on your fire. Well, you know, I would love it if they smelled 100% like coffee. That (laughs) sounds great to me. You would be on board. Yeah, I have a big container on my deck just for our used coffee grounds. And when we fill it up, I go and dump it in my garden. And I do often think, oh my gosh, if my little family of three here is creating this many coffee grounds, what are we creating all across the country? So I'm glad to know, at least on your side of the world, that they've come up with a really fun solution for those coffee grounds. I know, maybe it has an American counterpart. I mean, certainly, I don't know the statistic on Americans' coffee consumption, but if the Britons alone are drinking 95 million cups a day, yeah, you can just kind of do the math on what it's got to be. I mean, it's an astronomical number. So anyway, thank you to Coffee Logs for doing your part to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, use something waste not, want not, and thank you to Waitress Weekend. Speaking of another thing that's happening in Britain, and we're wondering if it might be happening in the U.S., (laughs) we have a voicemail from listener Corey in New York. Such a great question, and you know I love my voicemails in the first place, so I was so excited to get this. Let's go ahead and have a listen. Hi, Andrea. Hi, Stefan. This is Corey in New York. I was in England over the uh, Christmas and New Year's holiday, and while having a meal at a friend's house, They brought out something called British Extra Thick Single Cream, which is ideal for spooning. They also had, I'm going to try to find this quickly, sort of a half-fat cream that was for spooning. The thing is, I've never seen anything like this. I've never had anything like this. It was uh, the Waitrose Extra Thick Smooth and Velvety Half-Fat Cream. question is, do we have a U.S. equivalent 
to it. I don't think it's a creme fraiche. I don't think it's whipped cream in any way. And whatever I look up online, it seems to be a uniquely British thing, but I feel like you all know a way that I can get it here or at least make it. Thank you so much for answering my question. I really enjoy your show, and I look forward to hearing from you. Bye-bye. So, Stefan, do you have any idea what Corey is talking about? And more importantly, do you have an answer to his question? Can he get this in the U.S.? I think so. I'm really excited, Corey. (laughs) This is a product that my family has also fallen in love with. And if it exists in the U.S., Corey, I certainly didn't see it when I lived there. So I think what I'm going to have to do is direct you to a recipe to make. But what Corey is talking about there is a custard or a spooning custard that would be served maybe with a pudding, maybe with cake. In my house, we love it. We love a vanilla custard with chocolate cake. That is really good. And Andrea, it's the flavor of like a vanilla pudding, but much thinner. So you can pour it. I mean, that's right there in the title. And as he says, like the pouring or spooning custard. And I think he even references Waitrose's brand, which is the one that my family likes as well. Waitrose is getting two shout outs this episode. (laughs) Once again, you're back in our good graces, Waitrose. (laughs) Congratulations. And yes, I think they make a full fat version. I know they make a full fat custard. And then they also make like a, a half fat reduced um, fat version if you're if you're watching calories or fat. But what if <laughs> Did you ser- say fat one more time? Can I please? <laughs> well, you're pouring on custard onto dessert. I mean, obviously it's not maybe your your top concern. Oh my gosh. Dangerously delicious. Dangerously is the delicious. That comes to my mind. And also what it is not though, Corey, I don't think it's creme fraiche. Not at all. Mm. Um if if yeah. I'm thinking about the right product that, that he experienced while he was here. No, it's it's definitely not creme fraiche. So again, maybe our other listeners know if this product exists in the U.S. Andrea, does this ring any bells for you? It doesn't ring any bells for me, although it sounds fabulous. And if someone wants to send me a recipe, I'm happy to try making it on my own. You know, we had a recipe a few months ago that I can't remember off the top of my head, but I know it used bird's custard powder. Do you remember that? What was I that? Do be, I can't remember either, but I remember buying the bird's custard powder. And you only had to use a little bit of it. And that's like an instant custard powder. So mm-hmm. here that's very prevalent in just the baking aisle. You, If you didn't want to buy it prepared like from Waitrose or another supermarket, you could buy your bird's custard. And I think you just add boiling water to that. Um, so there may be an American prepackaged equivalent but if not Corey we will link to Adelia Smith recipe that I found in the show notes for this episode um, episode 161 and maybe you can make it and let us know if indeed that's what you experienced with your friends or how it went for you oh yeah I like that idea this is turning out to be a very British episode (laughs) (laughs) it is here comes our review of this week's Bake Along, which was Nigella Lawson's Emergency Brownies, those brownies you need for, quote, those times you urgently need a brownie but don't want to make or rather can't justify making a whole batch. This recipe makes two fudgy brownies to be snaffled straight from the tin. I love this woman. <laughs> I know. Her writing is so great. I could read her recipes just as nonfiction fun. So, Andrea, we talked last week about the ingredients for this. They are really your standard brownie ingredients, just in really small portions. So you have some softened, unsalted butter, light brown sugar, maple or golden syrup, plain flour, and cocoa, just some tablespoons of that, really, 
sea salt flakes and egg, vanilla, and then quite a large quantity comparatively of nuts, walnut pieces, or chocolate chips, or sorry, and chocolate chips, both in the amount of 50 grams there. And then you are baking this in a little baking pan. I went ahead and used my mini loaf pan for this bake. Andrea, what did you do? I mentioned last week that I might try and use the drip pan for my gas grill. I couldn't find any of those. We must have gone through them. And I started getting nervous about the idea of having a pan of brownies in my house Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. it's so hard for me. I decided instead to use my jumbo muffin tin. Oh, oh my gosh. Our love for the jumbo continues to grow. (laughs) (laughs) And my thought was, since then, I would have discrete portions. Mm -hmm. That would make it easier for Mm -hmm. me to control my consumption. Also true. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that was my thought. (laughs) Let's talk about the preparation here. So first, you warm the butter and sugar and maple syrup, stirring it occasionally until it's all melted and the sugar has dissolved. And then the second instruction is to mix together the flour and cocoa and salt in a bowl. I did go ahead and sift those. It was such a small amount. It was really easy. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I just used my whisk there. Wow, we totally like um, changed places on that one. (laughs) What's going on? I take take my brownies seriously, Stefan. (laughs) (laughs) You... Beat that melted butter into the flour and cocoa mixture, and then in a small bowl, you whisk your egg with your vanilla and combine it all together, finally folding in those nuts and chocolate chips. As I suspected, I did not have walnuts, but I did have pecans, so I used pecans, and then I used a semi-sweet chocolate chip, that same one I've been raving about from Equal Exchange. Yeah, excellent. And I used walnuts and also toasted those just very briefly in a dry skillet. I really think when using nuts, it's a nice touch. It doesn't add that much more time and just pumps up the flavor so dramatically. And I used some semi-sweet chips, although the bag that you sent me of the Equal Exchange, I'm I'm holding on for like the most special occasion. So thank I'm you. So excited to see what you think about those. I quibbled a little bit when it came time to pour it into my muffin tins because it says serves two to four. And so Mm -hmm. I thought, well, I could make four. I could make two. I decided to measure my batter and a quarter cup of batter filled in four muffin tins. So I ended up with about a cup of batter and I decided a quarter cup for each brownie was appropriate. Although I'm sure it would have been just as good if I had only made two. And these were the jumbo size. Yeah. Okay. These were the jumbo size. Okay. Excellent. So I did, yeah, I did go ahead and make four. She says to bake it for 15 or 20 minutes. Mine actually needed 25 minutes. Um, I pulled it out at uh, 15 minutes. They were still pretty wet on the inside. I pulled it out at 20. They were still clinging to my toothpick test. So at 25 minutes is when mine were done. Yeah. I had a similar issue over here. And I would like to go back to the temperature. I have a small quibble with that. Um, of course, I'm using the British oh. recipe here. But in step one, it's to preheat the oven to 170 uh, Celsius or 150 fan. Now, I do have a fan oven. 150 Celsius is just a very, very low. I think it's like 290-something, and that was not baking these at all. So I went to 170 fan, which is more in line with a 325-ish, 335-ish Fahrenheit oven, and I still had to bake it longer. So do the toothpick test. Obviously, you know, lots of people, myself included, don't want a dry brownie, but you also want a cooked brownie. So make sure it's baked through to your liking. 
Yeah, I did the math and 170 Celsius was 338 Fahrenheit. And I thought about just bumping it to 350, but I thought I do like my brownies a little bit underbaked. So mm -hmm. I set mine at 340, but then I did need the extra time so that they weren't, you know, still super gooey. So then comes the most difficult part of the recipe. As Nigella <laughs> says, you cannot, you know, you're going to burn your mouth. Just try to try to be patient. Set them on a rack for about 20 minutes, 30 minutes if you can do it, before, you know, you just break down and eat them out of the pan. <laughs> Andrea, we sometimes talk about how we have difficulty in taking pictures for our website, for the um, player app, and then sending it to each other because we keep nibbling at what we've right. made. <laughs> And I think when you see my picture, listeners, you'll know what happened to me. <laughs> yeah. My uh, great scheme of making four individual portions. <laughs> I mean, it was really a good intention, but here's what happened in reality. These brownies came out. I ate my first one. I wrote down dense, fudge, mm -hmm. chewy, mm -hmm. five star. Yes. I immediately froze the other three. Oh. And this was about midday. So it was it was about noon. Okay. Because I thought, that's great. I'll put them in the freezer, and that way, you know, I won't be tempted to eat another one. About <laughs> three hours later, I decided that I did need to have one more. So I pulled one out of the freezer. It wasn't completely frozen. Uh -huh. You know, it was uh -huh. just like cold, uh -huh. and but it was still chewable. Uh -huh. It was heaven. It was so good. Oh, my gosh. Um, so the other two I did leave frozen, okay. and I ate one of them the next night. I pulled it out maybe 20 minutes before dessert time, and I put some peppermint ice cream on top of oh it that gosh. I had you know, left over from the holidays and was tucked away in that back corner of my fridge. And I have to say, that frozen dark chocolate brownie with the peppermint ice cream was one of the best things I have ever had. <sighs> I... And then I just ate the fourth one frozen. I don't even remember what happened. I I just had a breakdown and ate it. So my whole plan of making these individual portions so I wouldn't eat the whole brownie ended up mm -hmm. being a bust. I did allow my husband and child to taste bites of my brownie, but that's all I gave them. Well, I may have been able to anticipate, and some might say I did this purposefully, but my <laughs> uh, family love brownies, but they're not a big walnuts in the brownies ah. people. But I am. Well, you had to follow the recipe. I so. am indeed. <laughs> and the only emergency, as far as I can tell, that you're going to have is running out of these because they are yeah. gone much too quickly. You know, Andrea, we talked last week about that nice addition of the salt. I thought the flavors in these brownies were just right on. You can actually taste the salt, and I really liked that. It's really sweet otherwise, and the salt has a nice balance. It really sings through. It's a great texture. It is a perfect size. I mean, I think in reality, you're probably making two larger brownies, but they're not yeah. huge by any means. It's not something that, you know, it's not an unreasonable portion size to uh, eat the whole pan. So... <laughs> Because I did. Yeah, I did too. Them. And for anyone looking at my photos, you'll notice my brownies are a very dark black. Mm. And that was because I used some more of that black cocoa mm -hmm. that I purchased from King Arthur Flour. Again, when you read the instructions on that ingredient, it says you want to use this as a substitute for regular cocoa yeah. when you've got an amount on the smaller side. So I thought, this is perfect. Here's another recipe with three tablespoons. And so just like I did with the Brigadieros back in December, I substituted this black cocoa and I thought it just made such a delicious addition to these brownies and sort of took them over the top for me because I love dark chocolate so much. So that really bumped up 
about that dark, bitter chocolate flavor. And I agree with the salt included. Oh, Oh, heaven. And, you know, you are keeping nicely to one of the food trends that we talked about last week from Queen Food down in Australia. Uh, I think like number five or six was black food. So very dark, dark colors. I think they were talking about more on the uh, charred side. But we can interpret that any way we want. (laughs) Right. Right on trend, as usual. Black is the new black with my brownie. So yeah, yeah, I strongly suggest listeners try these and do keep some in your freezer for a dessert emergency. You can pop them out. Those of you with microwaves, you could warm it right up. Otherwise, you can sit and patiently wait for a few minutes and let them defrost. They're so good. Well, Andrea, you know that I love from the same cookbook. Um, this is from Nigella's At My Table book. And The recipe right before the emergency brownie, coincidence or not, is the bourbon salted caramel ice cream that I make all the time. Now, wouldn't that be good on top of these brownies as well? I mean, come on, woman. (laughs) Uh, This is a front runner for, you know, blue ribbon gold star season four for me so far. This is an early, early entry into that list for me. Loved them. Yeah, I, I was really happy with this. So, well, let's see if we've got another front runner coming up with this week's Bake Along, and that is the Fun Fuddy Cupcakes for Two from Completely Delicious. It is two perfectly sized cupcakes with sprinkles on top. I think this would be such a fun recipe to make with kids or for kids because you know how they love those multicolored sprinkles. I mean, that Fun Fuddy trend is just kind of a joyful one already. Again, here we are. It makes two cupcakes. It's got all of your usual ingredients, just in smaller portions, and would be a nice thing if you had a friend over for your child and they wanted to make something in the kitchen. You didn't want to pull out a dozen cupcakes, but they could each have one at the end of the project. I think that would be really nice. So in addition to your normal cupcake ingredients, then she has a really nice buttercream going on here as well that I think actually makes a little extra if you might have something else to frost in around the same time period. Andrea, this is a preview week, so we won't be reviewing this one on the show. But listeners, if you bake along with us, let us know how they went, and it would be really fun to see your pictures. You know, Stefan, one thing I wanted to say, kind of a wrap-up for our small batch baking that surprised me a little bit is – In my head, I thought small batch was going to translate into easier because I thought, well, you're making less. And with all four of these recipes, maybe a little less so with Nigella's, that one was pretty easy. But with all of these others, there were still fairly complex recipes. The sticky buns, the pumpkin pie shortbread bars, Mm -hmm. and these Funfetti cupcakes, still a lot of ingredients, uh, making multiple things. So I have to say... I have to sort of revise my opinion. Small batch does not necessarily mean easier, except when I think it comes to something like cookies. Because Mm. if you make a full batch of cookies, you're doing tray after tray after tray. Whereas if you make a small batch of cookies, you make the batter, and then you've just got the one tray in, you pull it out, and you're done. I don't know. What do you think about our experiment in small batch baking? Yeah, I have to say I went into it thinking the same thing. And in fact, those pumpkin pie bars are a good example because they had multiple baking steps and cooling Mm -hmm. steps and frosting steps and certainly it wasn't saving on any labor or effort I think no I think it just goes back to the fact that at the end of it you are committed to making a small portion whether that's because you would like some built-in portion control or Mm -hmm. because you just smaller family yeah exactly waste food exactly Yeah. yeah but I'm with you I think that they weren't necessarily any easier than whipping up a dozen or two dozen of the same product. Right, right. 
Well, listeners, remember, we'll have a link to all of these recipes we've talked about today in the show notes for this episode, which is episode 161, on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, as well as on our Facebook listeners group. Andrea, I'm so excited for this next segment. In late 2019, we put the call out to our listeners asking for input for our 20 for 20 baking resolutions. And as usual, we were inundated with amazing ideas. We sure were. We had so much fun going through the Facebook post and emails to help us compile our ultimate list. You and I have each come up with six, and we took an additional seven from our listener community. So without further ado, it's time for our big reveal. Andrea, what's on your 20 for 20 list? First up, this is a callback to something I mentioned in episode 144. I want to develop a dessert that uses cake batter Gosh, in its so raw form. <laughs> so that's going to be a fun one for me. Second is that I would like to branch out of what I call my regular baking routines. Mm. And probably the best way to describe this is with something that we've made on the show. You know the peasant bread that came from Alexandra Stafford's Bread Toast and Crumbs cookbook? Just made two loaves today. <laughs> it's one of my favorites. I make it all the time. That cookbook has multiple variations of that bread. Yes. And I just keep making the same one. So... That is my second resolution to try some of the different variations. I've got the technique down. Now I just need to vary my ingredients. And, you know, I think one of our listeners had something similar, Andrea, just to really look into the cookbooks that you have and go from there. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Number three, I've mentioned this a couple of times as, oh, this would be a good idea, but I've yet to actually do it. And that is to take a favorite dessert and make it dairy-free. Yeah. So in my pantry, I have coconut condensed milk. I have coconut cream. I know I could use that instead of sweetened condensed milk and heavy cream. I just need to find the right recipe and actually do this. Oh my gosh. I think of the possibilities here. My mind's boggling a little bit. That could add such a really nice flavor in addition to it then being dairy-free. And just like we mentioned when we talked about those queen baking trends, mm -hmm. that's the combination of both the dairy-free and the plant-friendly, because I have a feeling I might be using some plant milks there. So oh, we'll exciting. see what I end up with. Okay. Yeah. Number four, I want more cookies in my freezer. Or perhaps I should say I would like to always have cookies in my freezer. <laughs> so when I mentioned saving time with small batch baking, on cookies, mm -hmm. one thing that I have started doing, and I just want to do it regularly now, is make my regular batch of cookies mm -hmm. and bake off the first sheet, mm -hmm. which is going to be probably anywhere between 6 to 12 cookies, depending on the size of the scoop I use, Right, and then freeze the rest of the dough. So I okay. want to go ahead and form them mm -hmm. in the scoops. I'm going to lay them out on parchment. Mm -hmm. I'm going to flash freeze them in my freezer, and then I'm going to vacuum seal them because the idea of opening my freezer and having <sighs> a assortment of small batches yes. of frozen cookies that I can pop into the oven and bake off two or four or six at a time. I really like that idea. I've done that in the past, Andrea. There is that kind of infamous recipe. It's like the Mrs. Fields chocolate chip cookie. I don't know if you've ever oh, yeah. seen that, like mm -hmm. making the rounds. And it makes something like 72 cookies. It makes this enormous batch. Oh, and yeah. I just, you would take all day kind of like in and out of the oven and then you would have so much quantity. And it's it's really worthwhile. I really encourage you on that one. It's uh, yeah. it's fun and it's 
you know, you always are doing something for your future self, which is really nice too. I really, I really like that idea. Now, number five might sound like a bit of a cheat. You might think, well, Andrea, you just did this in January. My resolution is to bake smaller portions. But as you know, our January recipes specifically were small batch bakes, Mm -hmm. and the recipe was designed that way. What I mean by my resolution is I want to take some of my existing recipes and figure out how to make them into small batch bakes, and specifically pies and cakes. I have some six-inch pie pans and some six-inch cake pans. And I would like to have cake more often in my life, but I just can't have a huge, you know, Uh nine-inch, three-layer cake sitting around my house. Okay. Can we just um, trademark that phrase, I'd like to have more cake in my life? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, who wouldn't, right? Uh My final resolution was inspired by a couple of our listeners. Rachel put this on her 20 for 20 list, and it said to make star bread. And when I saw that, I remember thinking to myself, oh, that's interesting. I wonder what that is. Well, sure enough, Jessie followed up, and she also wanted to make star bread using the King Arthur flour recipe. And then just, you know, going all out, she completely outdid herself, and she made it before the end of 2019, and she did four different fillings. So I'm not sure yet what I'm going to do, but star bread is definitely on my list. Oh, I love them, Andrea, and I'm super excited. I really love your number two because it's very similar to one of mine, as you'll see in just a moment. Oh, I'm dying to hear about your six personal baking resolutions. So go ahead, lay them on us. Okay. Well, number one is no surprise. I've been teasing about this since last fall. I want to create an original Biscoff muffin, or let's be honest, Biscoff cupcake recipe that is similar to one I ate at Costa Coffee in late 2019. And I talked about it in episode 147. So I'm really excited to create an original recipe using one of our favorite ingredients. Well, I remember your hard-hitting field research, and I think one of our listeners did as well. So it'll be interesting to see what you can come up Mm. with. I can't wait. Yeah. I may need some taste testing there. Are you up for it? Oh, sure. Okay. (laughs) Great. Okay. My number two is use it or lose it cookbook and recipe file purge. So... I know this is an issue that lots of our listeners grapple with, and it kind of goes back to the one that you just mentioned, Andrea, about not just doing the same recipes from the same books, but branching out. So I've already gotten a little jump start. I have purged my standalone recipe box. There's no overflow now. It all fits into one container, and I've pulled out about 10 cookbooks, and they're in a stack, and they're kind of on warning. They're on alert. So... Maybe I only use one (laughs) recipe from them. Maybe I've used a few but haven't really loved any of them. Maybe I just haven't still gotten around to baking. So need to use it or lose it. Otherwise, they can go find a new home and be appreciated and somewhere else. I love it. That's a good way to think about it. Number three is to explore more vegan baking. That goes back to lots of the food trends you've been hearing us talk about. And I've been really inspired by some vegan friends Branching out beyond just using aquafaba instead of egg whites and things like that. Searching out vegan recipes that are just inherently vegan instead of having to adapt them as well. Yeah, we always like doing things that way. Number four, I'm so excited. I want to take the Scandi baking class at Bread Ahead in Borough Market. My bro- oh, I'm so jealous. <laughs> my brother and sister-in-law gifted me a gift certificate for Christmas, and I've already scheduled this, so it's coming up in early spring, and I will report back. I cannot wait. Quick question, Scandi baking. Can you give me an idea what oh. that means? Yeah, so Scandinavian bakes, especially like a cinnamon bun, uh, things like that. In fact, 
Andrea, this class was the one that was happening in the adjacent classroom when we did our puff pastry. Oh, I think they're going to use cardamom. Oh, I'm sure they are. <laughs> I'm so oh my excited gosh. for you. Put money on it. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yeah, cinnamon, cardamom buns. Uh, and then there's two others. One was actually a name in Swedish that I don't, I'm, I was not familiar with. So oh, okay. yeah, but I'll be reporting back because it is scheduled. Okay. It is on the planner. So excited. Okay, number five is to recreate something I ate in Slovenia. And you heard me talk about in a Globetrotting Gourmet last fall. And that is the Lake Blade Cream Cake. I loved it. It was everywhere. It is kind of a hybrid between a vanilla cream pie and a Boston cream pie. I want to make one myself. Yeah, I can't wait to hear about that. And then number six is to recreate a baked yogurt. Now, I had this for breakfast in Prague, but it was very dessertish. It was like a cheesecake filling, kind of, but a little more curdy, which also is one of our 2020 food trends. I just can't believe how on trend we are. <laughs> I know. Yeah, when I first saw this one on your list – I have to admit, when I hear the words baked yogurt, yep. I don't get super excited. Right. But when I think about it more as fermented or something, then I'm like, oh, okay, I, I understand the re- the thought behind this. The one I ate in Prague was pumpkin, but it had a gooseberry mm-hmm. topping. Have you had a gooseberry before? They kind of look like a grape. They're very mm-hmm. translucent green fruit. I've had a gooseberry pie one mm-hmm. time, but I've never had a gooseberry raw. Yeah, so I'm going to have to track down that fruit if I want to be really authentic. But it's um, okay. it was so delicious, I would like to make it myself. You know, one of our listener suggestions was from Kate, who is working on publishing a personal collection of her own recipes this year. I love how you and I both have creating original recipes on our list this year, too. Well, it might not be an official 20 for 20, but we are definitely investigating this goal for some point in the future. Yes. Okay, so now that we've laid out our personal goals, it's time to turn to the ones suggested by our listeners. And though we would love to tackle all of your suggestions, we've had to keep our list to 20 total. As in past years, though, fear not if your suggestion is not called out today, because there were several that were very similar to themes or segments we already had planned for 2020. So you may see your idea crop up later this year. Or we may just hold on to it for the perfect time, like we did with Flower Power, which was actually suggested by Monica last year, but is a whole theme coming up this March. That's right. Okay, so to kick off our listener suggestions, number one, budget bakes. Bakes with ingredients that cost $10 or under from start to finish. You don't have to spend a lot to bake up rich and tasty treats for your next family gathering, potluck, or birthday party. From candy to cookies, pies to pudding, these desserts may also have the added bonus of using up what's already in your pantry. All right, next up is a category we're calling the Roaring Twenties. The 1920s, that is. We thought doing a whole month of desserts from the first Roaring Twenties would be totally on theme and fun as we kick off this century. So you can expect us to explore ingredients ranging from popular 1920s flavors like pineapple and jello, <laughs> as well as a fun copycat version of Girl Scout cookies, which was another listener suggestion. Thank you, Josh. So this is why we're counting this category as two resolutions, actually. Yes. Because who knew that Girl Scout cookies first appeared in the 1920s? Andrea, I love a theme like this because you know we can sprinkle in lots of our favorite food history, too. Yeah, I'm excited about this one. 
All right, next up, a very popular listener request was to tackle European classics, including madeleines, macarons, croquembouche, cream puffs, and St. Honore pastry, among others. So we'll be very continental throughout the year, or perhaps we'll dedicate an entire month to this robust category of desserts. Stay tuned. Speaking of a robust category, listeners are clamoring for another bread month. Our first one was in March 2018. We hope to tackle some of these requests during our Flower Power Month in March, but you can also expect 2020 to be full of sourdough, whole grain, naan, roti, chapati, and braided loaves, among others. Now here's one that's dear to my heart. Listeners want more help and information on how to thoughtfully purge and reorganize their cabinets. So you can expect tips and tricks throughout the year on how to clear the clutter. And I'm sure our amazing listener community will have lots to say about this one, too. Finally, our seventh listener suggestion was also a 2020 food trend, alternative sweeteners. So you can expect to see us exploring even more with this category. You know we love our Lyle's Golden Syrup and Molasses, but what about sweet potato, pomegranate, or date syrup? This is such a delicious list. But wait a minute, am I missing something on the math? We each chose six for a total of 12, and then we mentioned seven listener suggestions. So by my calculations, that's 19, but it's 2020. Oh, you're right. Like last year, <laughs> we thought it would be fun to keep the last resolution open for a bit as the new year starts shaking out. And I'm so glad we did, Andrea, because just recently we had a ton of Facebook chatter on our listeners group about a baking playlist. So we thought it would be really fun to go over to Spotify and make a preheated baking playlist. So look for that sometime in 2020. Yes, and if you need some additional inspiration for your own 20 for 20 list, check out the Facebook post from listeners Rachel and Juliet, who each shared their 20. Rachel's range from coconut cream pie to an entremet, which is molded layers of sponge, jam, and mousse covered in chocolate, along with our personal favorite, Bake Along with Andrea and Stefan. And Juliet had a whole set of resolutions based on the preheated archives. Those are resolutions we hope you all adopt. Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get the sprinkles on top of this episode. We release new shows every Monday morning, and next week we're kicking off the most romantic month of the year with February bakes that are full of amore. That's right, it's Italian month. From Pignoli to Tiramisu, we'll take a trip to Italy without leaving the comfort of our own kitchens. Listeners, if you'd like to get an email and a link to the full show notes every week when our episode is dropped, subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, preheatedpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at Preheated Pod. And if you like our show, please tell a friend and subscribe, and consider ranking and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download our show. Until next time, I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Thanks for listening, and sweet dreams.
Preheated is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions. Fun, 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 Fetty! <laughs> fun, 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 Fetty! I'm going to stop myself saying that.